Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Diva. Hi, my name is Ziva, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Welcome back, Kim, and happy birthday, Eva. What you said in your share is like the core of my recovery. So let me go to the beginning. I joined OA when I was just shy of my 29th birthday, and I just turned 70. So I've been around the rooms, not around, in the rooms for 40 years. And I'm abstinent 14, so you can do the math. Mm -hmm. All I can say is that I was born in a family, to a family, that there was a lot of angst, a lot of discomfort, and a lot of anxiety. And from a very, very early age, I found food as a good way to regulate my anxiety. And I really, really think that food saved my life. So until my teen years, I used it in a way that helped me. And it was when I turned, I think, 14, 15, 16, is when I started abusing food in a way that hurt my body and hurt my soul. And I was not the yo-yo person. I was just a heavy, heavy binger and then I needed to recover. So I would binge for a few days until I got sick, and then I needed a few days to recover, and then, you know, I would go back. And I was 29 when I joined the program. I was at the time married to a man, because now I'm married to a woman. But if anybody is new, that's not part of the journey of the way. (laughs) But I was married to a man. I had a baby. And my weight was the main agenda of my marriage. And just one disclaimer, when I came into the program, I was a normal size. In OA, I gained 60 pounds. I was heavier than I'm now 60 pounds, and I was lighter than I'm now 60 pounds. So that's just my story. And if there are any people listening on, to the podcast who are new, you are just listening to the story of one person, and it doesn't represent the experience of OA as a whole. So at 29, I came to the program. I was in a bad marriage with a lot of conflict, and I joined it in Israel. And at the time, you know, I think the, the book Food for Thought was published only two years later. We only had, we didn't have literature. We had very few things, and the only thing that it meant to me at the time was that I belonged to a club that accepted me, and that everybody who spoke there understood me and had a similar story. Not the past, but the present. The way we dealt with food and with our body was similar. And a year and a half later, we immigrated to Los Angeles, And I continued to go to meetings. Then I lived in New York, then in Massachusetts. And what I want to say is that in all the places that I've lived, I always went to program. And I always heard people 
who had a beautiful recovery. And there was only one, one thing in common to all those people that have what I want. And when I was 29, what I wanted was a very thin body. And at 70, what I want is a healthy body and a healthy relationship with the people in my life, with my body and with food. And I have it. So the only thing that I saw in common among people that had what I want was not their gender, not their ethnic group, not their social economic you know, class. It was only one thing. They were willing, just willing, to be on a spiritual path. And you know, there are many, many people, there are many diets out there that work beautifully. When I started my abstinence almost 14 years ago, my best friend went to one of those, you know, commercial diets. She lost all her weight and she's maintaining her goal weight now for 15 years. So it worked for her. She didn't need the spiritual path. I tried things and nothing worked for me. However, for all those years that I've been in program but I couldn't get abstinent, the missing link in my willingness and my recovery was to be on a spiritual path. I grew up in Israel. To a, My mother lost her entire family of like 30 people, 20 people in the Holocaust. So there was no God as far as she was concerned, for a good reason. So when I came to program, you know, when people said the word God, even though they said God of your own understanding, I shut down. I did fourth step many times, I had sponsored, I went to meetings, but this program doesn't work without step three. And what happened about 15 years ago, I read a book, and I won't mention it because it's an outside issue, but the book was written by a spiritual leader whose little kid had a terminal disease and died. And that experience challenged his belief. And he said his only way of coming to terms with this tragedy was believing that when bad things happen, God cries. And when I heard it, suddenly my heart opened up to the, first, to the third step. God does, is not responsible for anything bad that's happening in the world, whether it's my own family or whether it's in the universe, especially in the last two years. God doesn't do any of those. And I slowly became open to, to, to somehow building my own third step. And my God in the last 14 years is the little voice in my heart that knows better. That's my God. And you know, before I came to the, before I became abstinent, I was in the program, I, I hated myself. It's like the voices and the sounds of what I told myself was just, the way I ate was very aggressive, and the messages that I gave myself were just so full of hate. And I believe that abstinence is a gift that we give ourselves. Every abstinent meal is like a living amend to our body. And I could not do it when I hated myself because you don't want a gift to somebody you, you don't want to get give a gift to somebody you hate. And I'm like when you said about the little baby, I always have this vision, you know, if my child and I raised three children, if my child was a toddler who learned how to walk and after a month of walking they fell and scraped their knee really badly. Would I just say, What the 
what kind of a piece of, you know, what's going on? I mean, you were walking already. What are you? No. I would say, oh, my God, are you okay? It looks like you have a terrible boo-boo. Can I hold your hand? And can I help you walk until you feel better? And that's my God. That's now, <coughs> I have to take my mask for one second. I'm vaccinated. <laughs> So, my, the, the God in my life right now, and you know, there are black and white parts to my abstinence, and the boundary is that I don't eat dessert. And I haven't touched one in almost 14 years. But as you know, there is a lot of other things out there other than desserts, and I've done it, as my sponsor says, perfectly imperfect. And when I, when I am making an imperfect choice... I just give that hand to that little toddler and we move on. And that's just my story. I know that some people, you know, have to count days and if they deviate from their food plan, they count again. And the beauty of this program is that as many people as you see in this room, plus the people on Zoom, as many different abstinences you'll, you'll hear. So that's just, you know my story. And I remember about, I think it was like nine years ago, the, o, the LA Intergroup invited Beverly, a speaker from Arizona. She was the keynote opening speaker of the OA birthday party. And she's been abstinent 41 years. And she said her definition of abstinence is that when she falls down, she gets up. <laughs> and you know, again, for me, it's when I fall down, I get up, but I don't eat desserts because yeah. I am allergic to, the, to desserts and they make me insane. And if I start eating them, it's not about getting up or falling down. It's about I will not be functioning because when I was binging on sugar, I could never stick to a commitment because I didn't know if I will wake up with a hangover, if I will have a horrible headache, if I would. So my, my, it interfered with my ability to function. And in the last 14 years, I don't think there was one commitment that I canceled. Because I know that if I will do today what I did yesterday, I will wake up tomorrow with clarity and presence of mind. So, <clears throat> so there are so many miracles that happened to me in this program other than, you know, not eating desserts. For example, I never exercised. And 15 years ago, I started praying. And my only prayer was, God, help me move more. That was my prayer. I didn't know how it would look like. Just I wanted to move because I knew at the time I was 55. And I knew that as I get older, it's really, really important for my health. And it's been now 10 years that I've been going to a pool and exercises reg exercising regularly. And when the pandemic hit, I started my partner my spouse works a lot and I started walking but I couldn't walk more than 15 20 minutes because it's a different exercise walking than being in a pool where there is you know no resistance and now we walk every morning a little over an hour now it all started by a little prayer God help me move more and again when I say God I don't know what God is but for me it's it's praying to that little part in my heart that knows better. When I'm 
I'll give you an example. I invited tomorrow my son and his wife for brunch, and I went to the market, and I suddenly entertained the thought of buying something, and I won't even mention because it doesn't matter, but as I was walking down the aisle, I said in my heart, God, help me make a choice that would be loving and kind to my body and my soul. And just saying it, I walked past that aisle. And you know what? My son and his wife adore me, and I adore them. And they will have a great time. They don't, I don't need to get anything for them that I cannot eat. And when they leave my house tomorrow, they can go as far as I'm concerned and buy anything they want. But it doesn't have to happen under my watch. Because I'm the one that will be left with the leftovers. And even though it's not a dessert, you know... When, when a sponsee asked me, you know, can I eat, is it okay if I eat that because I'm not eating that? I always say, you know, it's your program and you are now collecting data. Eat it. If you feel that you ate it, you enjoyed it, and you move on with your life, it means you can have it. If you eat it and then it takes a rent-free space in your brain and you are thinking and dreaming about when is the next time you can have it, that gives you information and we'll work with it. But I can't come from a place of judgment because I've been in and out of relapse for 20 years before I became abstinent. So my, I feel that my job as a sponsor is to walk alongside my sponsee and help them as they find out what is their path, not to dictate anything that is my path because it might be very different. So I don't know. I, how long did I talk? You've got uh, another 25 minutes. Wow. <laughs> okay, so I think it's okay to open for questions in a few minutes, right? Sure. It's okay? Okay, so all I would say is that this program changed my life. I am now, you know, working step three daily and sometimes more than once a day. Another little thing I'm using in the program that I find as a miracle, you know, I think it was this, the last story in the big book talks about this woman who had resentment to her mother, and it said to, to pray for her for 21 days. So it's not my mother, but anytime I'm resenting anyone, I do for a few days the loving-kindness meditation. And that puts me in a place where my heart is open and my judgment, you know, is like reduced. And I really, really, really find it miraculous in how it affects me. It doesn't always change the reality for the other person, but, you know, they say that when you are resentful, it's like you are swallowing the poison in order to hurt somebody else. So when I do those things, you know, the loving-kindness meditation, which is similar to what they recommend in that story in the big book, I feel that what happens is that I get into a positive space. And I work the steps all the time, and I sponsor people, and we work them together. And I will open it now for questions. No questions. We'll go home early. Yes. Um, how do you maintain your relationship with your higher power? Is there something you do daily, or what does that look like? Okay. Could you repeat the question? Yes. How do you maintain your relationship with your higher power? Do you do it daily? 
So because my definition is that it's a little part in my heart that knows better, I meditate. And when I meditate, I get in touch with that part. Now, what I described that happened in the market when I was contemplating buying something that will not be good for me, that's what I said. I said, God, you know, help me make a choice that will be loving and kind to my body and my soul. So throughout the day, you know, I reach out to that thing in me. Now, I also many times in the morning say the third step prayer, but I feel like when I'm saying it, it's more like a road thing. It's not as personal as when I talk to that part in me when something personal is going on. Did that answer your question? Yeah, okay. Thank you. Sure. Kim? Yes. So the ninth step, can I talk about the ninth step? So the ninth step is the step where we make amends. Step eight is when we are ready to make the amends. And step nine is when we make amends. So I must say that over the years I've done the steps many, 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 many times. And every time that I've done them, there was a new amend that surfaced. So I think that the most moving amends for me, and before that, let me just say, some amends that I made and I thought that they are so meaningful turned out to be unpleasant. So when we make an amend, it's not always that the other person is like, oh my God, you're amazing, thank you. No. There was one especially with somebody that said, yes, you were very un an unpleasant person during that time. And we never talked since, but I made the amends. <laughs> now, but the most moving amends were for my children. Because, you know, I did things when I was in the food, things that were unkind. Like, one thing, you know, I was a single mother, divorced when my son was little, and I gave away his puppy. Because I just couldn't handle... I couldn't handle it. I worked full time. I had three kids. That It was their dog, but nobody cared about this dog. So I found a home, like a really nice couple, retired couple, that this little dog became their... But for my son, this didn't matter. So, so I took him out to dinner. He was maybe... Tw now he's 32. That was before the 15 years. I don't know. He was a teenager. And I said, I want to make an amend to you. And he said, what did you do wrong? And I said... I gave away the puppy that you really, really loved, and I'm, I'm, I know how much pain it gave you. So, and he, he had tears in his eyes, and he, he knew that it was true, you know. And now that he's married, he has a dog, and he would never give it away, <laughs> and that's good. But it's like it was a moving amend because it was really, you know, an amend that he deserved. And also with my daughters, you know, my amends were very meaningful. Now, as I said before, I believe that every time I eat a beautiful, abstinent meal, I'm making a living amend to my body. And that's ongoing. You know, as much as I hated my body for so many years, I am so grateful now for what this body did for me. And, you know, I, have, I sponsor people from all ages. You know, some are much younger than me, some are, you know, close to my age. And one of the things I ask them to do all the time, not every day, but whenever it comes up in conversations, write a list of 10 things that you are grateful for your body. 
and it's beautiful. I mean, somebody, you know, can say, I don't want to do it. So I said, you know what? You don't, it doesn't have to be poetic. It can be for the fact that you, your, your feet carry you. But I know that I hated my body for so many years and wasted so many beautiful years of youth hating it. And now I just am so grateful for my body. And so that's a living amend. And there are many in between. So, and there are also, you know, when I work with sponsees, how we work the step step is depending on what is the thing that bothers them the most, because the amend is really for yourself, not for the other people, for the other person. Yes. Thank you so much. Can you talk about what you learned, uh, looking back, what did you learn from your relapse and what was it? Any sure. So the main reflection is that I, yes, what if I can share what did I learn from all the years of relapse, right? Yes. So, you know, as I said, I lived in all those states. I went to meetings all the time. I would drive 30 miles to hear the most amazing speaker, and then on the way home, I would binge to celebrate their recovery. <laughs> so the main reflection here is that anyone among us that has recovery went through a lot of pain and discomfort at some point in their life, because that's life. I was never willing to go through discomfort. That was my main thing. And the ability to go through discomfort goes hand in hand with having a higher power. Having some support and faith and belief that I'm going to be okay even though I'm feeling very uncomfortable. And that was the missing link in, my, in all the years of relapse. You know, as long as things were good, I was abstinent. There was a little thing happening and I immediately needed to numb myself. And... You know, I, I heard somebody yesterday speak, not in, not in OA, but she said something about that when you are in pain, you want to, to cover yourself with a cloak, she said, of oblivion. Mm -hmm. And I really related to it because all the years when I was upset and sad, you know, I would cover myself with a sugary cloak of oblivion. And what I do now, that's another reason for the relapse. And what I do now, one of the things I ask every person I sponsor before we even start is to write 10 things you can reach out to other than food when you're upset. So that people start like just entertaining the thought that maybe I can find a cloak or a blanket or something soft that is not oblivion, that is just supporting. So I think... That's the key for my relapse. Yes. Um, Diva, thank you. Um, you talked about how you pray for people when you have a resentment. When you have a persistent resentment, how do you deal with it using the program? So to tell you the truth, I don't have persistent resentment. I don't. Because there are people who are no longer in my life. You know, when you're 70 years old, it's time to make choices. So some people are in my life. I have friends from 40 years ago. And some people where there was a persistent resentment and nothing else helped, I just very gently and kindly moved away from those relationships. 
Now, the relationships with people that have to be in my life, I don't, I mean, this prayer really, really, really helped me. Especially one person comes to mind now that she's still in my life, and I have some resentment, but I, I don't see her often. And if I see her because there is some family event, before we get out of the car, I say four statements. I say, may you be safe and protected from inner and outer harm to her. May you live your life with ease. And may, you know, there are so many loving kindness things. You can Google and you'll get all the statements. But I, I have my own four or five. And when I say it, then when I come into the event, I'm, I'm not trying to get close to her. I'm not having a lot of conversations with her. But I'm in a better place emotionally. Also, when I, when I see clients on, on Zoom and some are challenging, I also say it before I turn the waiting room, before I open the Zoom. So I don't have any active live resentment in my life today. Yes. Hi. Um, I've been sober in Alcoholics Anonymous almost nine years, uh-huh. and that's been amazing. But I feel like I've had a curious relationship with food, um, you know, reaching for things to feel better. Um, so this is my first OA meeting in Los Angeles. Um, but I like how you talked about the third step prayer and the relief from the bondage itself. I didn't know that's what I wanted, but when you feel like you're going to binge and you need relief, what do you do to get that Okay. So, you know, as, as a compulsive overeater, I think as long as I live, there will be those moments that I would want to reach out to the food. So, you know, what I usually do is I either pray, but what I found that is really interesting, what I found out, is that when I'm in a good place, praying helps. When I'm in a bad place, I need to hear one of God's messengers, which are you. So when I'm in a place where I'm like in a sh- on a shaky ground, I need to make a call and hear somebody's voice. Or I have like few, you know, when you are so many years in program, you build your little net. So I could call one of my net and say, I really am in a, in a bad place. Tell me what to have for dinner. And she knows me for 40 years, and she knows what's safe for me. And she would say, just go and get that. Are you okay with it? Yes. Can you send me a picture of your plate? So, so that's, those things help. Now, I have to be honest with you that there are times when I make a poor choice, and I have a bigger meal because of the comfort that I'm looking for. Or I have a poor choice of what I have in the meal. So I don't want to say, to, to come across as if I'm perfect and whenever I want that comfort, I always reach out and pray and it's going away. Let's put it this way. 87% of the time, I really walk the walk. And 13% of the time, I talk the talk. 
Now, I was never good in math, so don't ask me how I got to that exact number. But most of the time, I am doing those things and find them very, very helpful. But there are times when I don't. Ten more minutes. Any more questions? Thanks so much, Eva. How do you work with classes? What literature do you use? What sort of methods do you use to work with others? Okay, so I work the steps through the big book. That's what I do. So we start, let's say, step one is the doctor's opinion and more about alcoholism. So depending on their availability, I ask them to read a paragraph a day because what I found is that when I ask them to read a page a day, they do it on the first week when the relationship starts, and then things get busy, and they don't do it. So I say, okay, just a paragraph a day. Highlight. If anything talks to you, highlight it. And when you send me your food, send me one sentence. I mean, at least one sentence. It could also be a paragraph or a page about what, you know, came up for you. And then when you finish the chapter we talk about, we set a longer time to talk about it. Now, because of my history, most of the people who reach out to me, except one, are people who have been struggling with relapse. And because I've been there for so many years, I feel like I can't, you know, judge anyone, and I need to walk along them and let them lead the way. So if somebody still binges every day, I will never say I'm not sponsoring you anymore. I would say, you know, what can I do to support you right now because it looks like you are in so much pain. But, so, but the, the steps we do, you know, through the big book and what I'm asking them to do, depending on where they are in their journey, is uh, always to read a paragraph I also ask them to write, when they send me their food, five things they are grateful about in their body. And, for example, one of them, I feel like what I said before about was never really parented in the way that we want to be parented. So one of the things she needs to tell me every day, not always, but we go through periods where she needs to tell me one thing she did, let's say if it was me, for little Ziva, and one thing I did for adult Ziva. So let's say I went to the beach and took a walk, that's for little Ziva. But things that don't, not food. And then for adult Ziva, I don't know. I met a friend and we, whatever. But that helps her reparent herself because she has this very harsh you know, negative parental voice inside, which I had for so, so, so many years. So that's how I work. Thanks. Yes. Thank you, Zima. Um, I was wondering, can you talk about the evolution of your prayer and meditation practice and um, were you off with it? Was step 11 always something that you did regularly or um, could you talk about what helped you grow in that? Yes, I will be happy to talk about it, but I, not but. And I think I still have a lot to grow in that. But let's say that when I started the program, I couldn't sit still for five seconds. 
And even though I tried meditation in many ways, I was so, so antsy that I, I just couldn't do it. And over the years, you know, I am now meditating not for a long time, for still a very short time. I mean, 10, 15 minutes for me is very long. And maybe there are people that can meditate for 40 or an hour. That's wonderful. I, if I do 10 minutes, it's very long. And what I do, I just sit still and breathe. And I also listen to a lot, a lot of spiritual meditative material that is not always related, so I can't talk about it here. I can talk to you after. But I use also different apps on my phone. I'm using a lot of outside help in order to enlarge this part of my life. I find it now very helpful and I meditate regularly. And if I don't, if I don't, I feel it during the day that I'm not anchored. And when I do it, I feel much more calm. However, I'm sure that I can still grow a lot in that area. So that's my humble experience with meditation. Of course. <laughs> Ask he who so, is in charge of the time. <laughs> so what does your food plan look like in general? I know you said that it can vary, but do you have like a certain amount of meals and snacks that you have oh, today? Oh, sure. Like, what does that look like? Yes, so I have usually two and a half meals and two snacks. And I'm trying, at the 87% that I told you, I eat a low-carb and low-fat. And there are many things that were added to the list of my no-foods in the last 14 years. Like, for example, I used to eat rice cakes, and I can no longer eat them because they triggered me. I used to eat a toast sometimes. I don't eat bread anymore. So it's like I'm adding things that I can feel are triggering me. But the general, you know, the 87% of the time, it's a meal that is low-carb, low-fat, high-fiber, and with, I eat meat, so any protein, fish, meat, whatever. Did you ever use a nutritionist to help you come up with your plan? Yes, I, I used many, and I was one of those that every nutritionist I use, I gain some weight. <laughs> My last nutritionist... Do I have my Yes. My other, my last one, I went to Serenity Sunday on, Sunday on Roxbury Park. It was maybe five, four years ago. And there were people that were bussed there from an eating disorder unit. And one of the women shared that she was like almost 500 pounds and she's in this eating disorder unit and there is this nutritionist that's changed her life. So I ran to the bus, and I took his name and his number. He's in Brentwood, not far from here, and I started seeing him. And he really understands the program and understands the steps, and he's wonderful. However, he made suggestions to me that there are certain chocolates that I can eat because they are not with sugar, and that they will give me that satisfaction that... I, anyway, I couldn't do it. I didn't eat those because that was within the last 14 years but that was one and then I went to another nutritionist like maybe 35 years ago I won't mention her name but she was like in Beverly Hills like 
everybody went to her. And I lost, I gained, I think, like five pounds the first week. Because, again, she said, we are going to work on eating in moderation. You know, if you can eat in moderation, I wouldn't be standing here. So, so that's about nutritionists. Who asked me? Ah, Michelle. <laughs> Okay, Thank you. I think we'll finish early.